Would you turn to John chapter 8? We're going to be in John chapter 8. I want you to see it. I want you to follow along with me. But really, our central focus is only one verse. And it's this. Verse 12. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. We're in a series this Lent called Jesus Is. And we're looking at the seven statements that Jesus says that begins with the words, I am. And John records these seven miracles in addition to these seven statements that we're going to be looking at for one reason and one reason alone, and it's here on this screen. They're written to point us on a journey toward one destination, finding life in Jesus. John's taking his readers on a journey. John is challenging his readers to rethink everything they thought they knew about God and life with him. Because John wants to move them forward to see that light and life, which are these common symbols that have been around for thousands of years, Light and life are actually found in Jesus. He says, you've been searching, you've been striving, but look no further than Jesus. He says as much in John chapter 20. We looked at it last week. He says, I've written all this stuff and I could have wrote more so that you would see and believe in Jesus and find life in his name. So we're looking at these statements and tonight is our second When Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Before we go too much further, I want to tell you a parable. Last week, uh, excuse me, last summer in Rock and Summer with our VBS for the community that we do at the Rock, we looked at parables. Parables, we told them, is a story with a hidden meaning. So I want to try on a parable this evening. So imagine that a group of us go on a hike through the mountains. Okay, And we're headed toward this beautiful mountain retreat and this beautiful mountain lodge. And we're headed to this hidden point into this retreat. Well, just as the sun is setting, and just like the Keeslers last week when they were in the mountains, we get lost. Ask the Keeslers about this. But imagine we're here and we're hiking along and we're headed to this retreat and we realize that we're lost and we're running out of light and we're stuck here on this path trying to reorient and trying to figure out which way to head. And then we look over and we see in the mist two things. The first is we see a guide. And this guide has a light. And he says, are you guys headed to this Retreat place. And we say, well, yes, actually. And he goes, I just came from there. I live there. It's just a little bit up the road. I can take you there. But you've got to follow close because I've only got this light. And I'm the only one that knows the way. But they don't just see a guide. They see something else. Our group looks over and 
Tucked away behind some trees, we see a cabin. It's just obstructed by some of the mist, and it's getting dark. And so if you've seen any kind of movie like this, you have half the group saying, let's just go in here and let's just rest. It's good, man. But then in our group of hikers, we have another section of people saying, no, 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 no. I think we can trust this guy. I think we can keep going, even though it's dark. I think we can head out with him. So in our parable, some go on trusting the guide. Others take up residence in this cabin. Those who go into the cabin, they begin to sweep away some of the cobwebs. They begin to light a fire. They rest. And they do what we all do around fires. They begin to tell stories. They begin to sing songs. They begin to maybe even decorate some of the cabin, not really doing major renovations, but they begin to put some new dressing and treatments, and they get cozy and they get settled. And this goes on for years. Well, sometime later, a hiker comes back to the cabin, and he's just come from this mountain retreat, this lodge, and he tells them about how incredible it is He tells them that there's this stream and we can, you know, dance and we can party and we can eat and it's warm and it's beautiful and there's this community that's gathered and it's the best place. It's even better than we could imagine. It's even better than what we thought it would be when we set out. So the cabin group begins to point around and say, yeah, but but look, look what we got. I mean, it's not much, but we've decorated it, we've... We've been telling these stories. We've been singing these songs. And we've got a pretty awesome thing going on, actually. So the hiker that came back, he says, but wait, remember that this was never where we were supposed to wind up. Ultimately, we were supposed to go to this lodge. This place, and I'm telling you, dude, it's worth it. Let's go. They say, yeah, but it's hard. And are we sure we can really trust that guy? Are we sure we can trust you because you were one of the crazy people that took a step out and went with him in the first place? So what you have is this group that's left in this cabin after years and years and years and they continue to share these stories of their past travel, of what brought them thus far, but they're only memories now because they've been so settled, so comfortable, they've traded the adventure of the journey for their own carefully designed new reality. So the question is, where have we settled in places we should have kept moving and kept trusting the guide with the light? Jesus comes upon a group of his own people that for centuries have lived in their own sort of cabin. And he makes these pronouncements, like he said this evening, that he's the light of the world. What might Jesus mean when he says light? Every religion, especially the ancient ones, have some symbol and story surrounding light versus darkness. Shoot, you can look at the next new Marvel movie. It's all light versus darkness. It's good versus evil. These are embedded within the human subconscious and the human psyche, the human stories. We understand light and dark, and Jesus in his day was speaking to a people that understood light and dark. And so when Jesus says, I'm the light of the world, what might he 
mean? Well, functionally, he means at least these two things. Think about it, your own light on a hike. The light reveals and the light guides, okay? You're in a dark room, you turn on the light, and you see what's in there. It reveals what's in the room. And then if you're on a journey and it's dark, what are you carrying? Light. So at the most basic meaning, Jesus reveals what's true, like a light in a dark room. And he exposes what's hidden. And ultimately he is here and saying, I'm a light, because he's offering a better way down the path. So to bring this into some more reality, think about your habits Think about your hang-ups. Hang-ups are those things about, well, I just, I, I, I'm just i still comfortable here where I am. I, I'm kind of tentative, and I'm not sure I can step out of these kind of hang-ups. Hang-ups may be about other people. Hang-ups about church. Hang-ups about spirituality. Hang-ups about God. Think about our images of God and others. Some of these things needs some light shined into them. Because Jesus has a way of revealing those things, those habits, those hang-ups, those images that are not quite true. And he has a way of shining into our hearts, our minds, to try to illuminate us to say, oh, wait, maybe I've been looking at these things incorrectly. Maybe I've been living in this way that's incorrect. And so what he's ultimately going to do is say, well, let me guide you with my light to a better way. So one of the things we talked about at this marriage retreat, and I even referenced the marriage retreat again last week, but it was so vital because when we talk about our communication styles, one of the patterns we can find ourselves in, one of about four, is a calling out, okay? You guys understand what I mean if I said, I just called Mark out the other day. You know what I mean? You're saying, look, 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 look at this. Look what you did. The difference between a calling out and, and Jesus is kind of like, is he's going to call us up, which is another way of speaking to people, where it's not just saying, look at this, let me reveal this. It's a next step. Are you with me? So it's not just a calling out, it's a calling up. Here is something that's inconsistent. May I lead you in grace and truth to a better way. So Jesus steps up into this assembly and he says, I'm the light. And he means at least two things. He's here to reveal some inconsistencies of the way we've been thinking and living. And then look, he's going to guide us into a better way. This is what light does. So here's another question for you. Where do you think Jesus is wanting to shine some light in your life? Lent has a good way of revealing those things that can become comfortable, that want to be our masters, especially if you give up chocolate or soda or those things that we love so much. It's no big deal on Fat Tuesday. It's a huge deal right now. And it's this way of shining a light, like we talked about last week. It says, man does not live on bread alone. It's a way of shining light. Where is it you think Jesus is wanting to shine light in your life? Or maybe it's this. Where is it that he wants to shine in that dark corner of our community in our world? And would you follow Jesus' step to not just put it out there in social media, but to be a calling up to say, no, actually, it's not just that this is wrong. There's a better way. And would you not just say it? Would you show it? What is it that you can't stand? 
What is it that you can't stand anymore? Our culture has a voice that's rising because we cannot stand violence in our schools anymore. It has reached a fever pitch. And it's not just enough to call it out. It's enough to show a better way to be peacemakers, to bring peace, and perhaps even act in these places right now in real time, in real life, to say, what do our schools need? It's a calling up. It's a shining and a showing. Jesus wants to move us on to something better. So Jesus stands up. He says, I am the light, but he's the light of what? Of what? The world. So here's another question. What might Jesus mean when he says he's the light of the world? Now, he's speaking to a Jewish audience at a Jewish party at a Jewish festival, and they're thinking, oh, I've heard this term light of the world before. And they might have gone back to Isaiah 42.6 or 49.6. I'm going to read 49.6 to you this evening. God says, it is too small a thing for you to be my servant. To restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those of Israel I have kept. So I will make you a light for the nations. That my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. This is what the Lord says. The Redeemer and Holy One of Israel. To him who was despised and abhorred by the nation. To the servant of rulers. Kings will see you and stand up. Princes will see and bow down because of the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel who has chosen you. The you is the servant that God has chosen to come and to shine and reveal and guide a dark world to salvation. The light of the nations was supposed to be Israel and they failed. They've settled in the cabin. They propped their feet up. They're done. So God sends Jesus, and he says, I am the light of the world. And they say, wait a minute, wait a minute, who made this guy the light of the world? And so what happens in John chapter 8, verses 12 and following, is what's happened in chapter 7 and chapter 6 and chapter 5, when Jesus hits on their sacred cows, and he tries to reinterpret and reorient around him. They say, wait a minute, no way, you this guy? And what happens after John chapter 8, 12, after he makes this pronouncement, is 47 verses where we never hear about the light again because they dispute who Jesus is, where he came from, and they go off on this long detour because they're like, you ain't this servant. No way. The rest of the chapter, they cannot get their head around. They cannot trust the guide who has come to show them and move them to a better way. I want to come back to that. But ultimately, I have another question for you. When did Jesus say these words? A little Bible reading tip for you. It is so important to ask when something was written in our Bibles. Okay? The Bible was written over centuries by a good many different people in a good many different cultures. The when it was written is so important. You've got to understand when. And the thing about the Gospels especially 
is he wants you to know that it's around this festival or that festival or in this place or in that place. It's so important, so stay with me. When did Jesus say, I'm the light of the world? During this party called the Festival of Tabernacles. Have y'all heard that word, tabernacle? Say tabernacle. It sounds so weird, but what a tabernacle was, was a tent, basically, that was this moving and roving temple for God's people when they were in the, the wilderness during the Exodus. So what they did, hundreds of years after the Exodus, just like we would celebrate Thanksgiving, looking back into some American history, they looked back and remembered the time when God led them in the Exodus in the wilderness. So here's what the Festival of Tabernacles was all about. Look here at the screen. It was one of their pilgrimage festivals. So if you lived in Rockwall and Frisco or Oklahoma and you needed to come to Dallas, you got to drive your way down in order to celebrate this particular festival. So when you got there, you didn't go stay at the Holiday Inn. What you did was you stayed in tents that you'd construct to remember God's leading in the wilderness. So they would make these tents. It was part of the fun of it. And they would stay in and around Jerusalem for this festival in these tents, remembering that they used to have, their ancestors used to walk all through the wilderness being led by God. And then this was interesting about this festival, which is in the fall. The Gentiles, which would be that word for the nations, that's everybody who's not a Jew, they were actually invited to worship with the Jewish people during certain times. And they did this in the temple courts that everybody could come on in and see what this whole God and Jewish thing was all about. And that looked forward to, watch this last point. It looked forward to the day when God's Messiah that we just read about would bring all nations to this holy city, Jerusalem, and they would pour in from every corner of the globe and know that Jesus, excuse me, know that Yahweh is God. And this is so interesting of how they celebrated. Now, I want you to hang with me because this will make sense in a minute. During the week of this party, they would process down to this pool. And it was called the Fountain of Siloam. Hold on to that. They would draw some water out and they would sing some psalms in our Bible. And they would process back up to the temple, into that court where Jesus was saying these words. And they would pour some water out, and the water would run down because they're saying, just like God promised in Ezekiel, when streams of living water will flood the earth from the holy city and cover and renew the whole world. Hello? If you look back in chapter 7, the last day of this festival, when they're doing that seven times, Jesus has the crazy thought of standing up and saying these words. If anybody's thirsty, come to me, and streams of living water will flow out of them, not the temple. The second way they celebrated the Feast of Tabernacles, not just with the water, but with light. In the court of Gentiles, women, and where the treasury was, where Jesus said these words. Listen here. They would light these huge bowls of light. 
16 pillars. They didn't have the skyline like we did, so they had these enormous pillars that they put these huge lights, 16 of them, lined the court, and it was set up, raised up on a hill, and it gave light to the whole city. And people would take torches, and they'd dance and party in the streets, and the light would reflect, and ancient writers that were not writing Bible things, but just histories, they'd say, it was like the most wonderful thing you've ever seen. Why? Because they didn't have street lights. duh. How many of you have done a cave tour, like you've been down around San Antonio, Georgetown, inner space caverns? I drug my whole family down there the last time we went because I wanted to go back to the cave, and I wanted to for one reason and one reason only. No matter what cave you've been to, there's going to be a moment where they turn the lights off. Yes? And this is so hilarious because this is after they've said, this stalactite is called the devil's breath. And then this stalagmite, ancient explorers and spelunkers called the devil's backbone. And then this is the devil's shoe. And it's just like, oh my gosh. And then they turn off the lights. You're like, oh, this devil stuff. Oh my gosh. And people are freaking out because you can taste how dark it is. It's crazy. Like you can feel, oh my. And you're sitting there thinking, how did these crazy spelunkers do this 200 years ago? The world did not have this kind of light. And then Jesus not only was the guy that said, anybody thirsty, come to me instead. He goes, oh, guess what? I am the light. You think this light is something? I am the light. You think your king is the light of the world? I am the light of the world. With all of this symbolism and celebration and remembering and hoping, Jesus is reinterpreting the stories and symbol of these people who shacked up in the cabin, and he's reoriented all of them around himself, and then he says this insane thing, I am a light that's on the move. Anyone who follows me will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. So here's the question. What happens next is the crowd splits. Half of them lose their minds and say, no way are you the guy. And the other half says, can I trust this guide to move me beyond the trappings that I see around me? Is this really all that God had for his creation? Earlier when we were praying before this service, someone in the worship team said, Lord, we're so done with playing church. We want to give ourselves to you, to give ourselves fully to you, because there's life and there's so much that you have to give us. It's easy to look back at the temple. It's easy to look back to the festivals. It's easy to look back at all the things that we do. But we can be just like these people who come here every week and we set up our little cabin and we decorate and we share songs and we share stories. And these are good things, but they are not the ultimate thing. These are designed, these spaces are designed to move us along into following the light. And the irony of when this happened was that it was celebrating a time in Israel's history when they followed a light that led them through the wilderness. The irony is these were a people, listen, who were wrestling with God and trying to sort out, what are you doing in my real world? How are you calling me to live? It was this dynamic relationship that they traded for a comfortable religion 
oh, I could never do that. I think Jesus wants to shine light and says, this light is on the move. You've got to join yourself to me and follow me into life or you find yourself settling in the darkness. You see, I told you that light and dark are these ancient and basic symbols in humanity. Light was this symbol of understanding and goodness. Dark was a symbol of ignorance and evil. And here's the trick. To follow him is not to walk in ignorance and evil, but you'll have the light of what? Life. Write down John 1, 4, and 5, or look there. John tells us in the prologue, which is so vital to understanding the rest of his gospel, he says that in him who he calls the wisdom and understanding of God, hear me, in him was life. And that light was the light, excuse me, in him was light. And that light was the life of all people. And he says the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Because whether we realize it or not, to not follow the light is to be settled in the darkness. Whether we realize it or not, your friends that have not seen the light are settling in darkness. Because Jesus is this beacon of light that's drawing the whole world to himself. And I'm afraid that we've set up our cabins that are so boring or so shut down from real life or so not connecting with the whole person that they say, if that's what it is, I don't want anything to do with the light. I'm just, this breaks my heart. Because I know people that Amy and I have talked to in the last two weeks. And I asked this one person one time, I said, at night, do you ever think about anything beyond yourself? Do you ever think, is there anything more? Is there a different way? Is there a better way? And he looked at me and he says, honestly, when I go to bed at night, I'm thinking about my to-do list the next morning. I'm thinking about the reports i got to fill. I'm thinking about the next trip I've got to take. I have no interest in thinking of anything beyond that. Two weeks ago, Amy talks to a person that's not a Christian, and she says, honestly, I just don't have time in my life to think about anything beyond right here and right now. Whether they realize it or not, it's not that they're terrible people that are going off the deep end. They're just not aware of a light that's revealing and calling them to a better way. I think about cell phones this week. Because what happens is cell phones are made for connection. Cell phones that have no cellular service or Wi-Fi are paperweights. Unless you got a couple games downloaded, but go with me on my illustration. <laughs> cell phones were made for connection, and when cell phones can't connect, what does it say in the top corner? Searching. You see that? Searching, dot, dot, dot. Because it's wired and made for connection, and here's the thing. Your cell phone, especially if you've traveled internationally, will find any signal it can. You may be AT&T stateside and you are something else because it's made for connection. It's searching. And here's the thing. Humans will find and seek anything else 
to fill a fraction of what we were made for. But the reality is, is that you were made for a purpose. You were made for connection. You were made for relationship with your creator and those whom he has created to make this world more like he intends and to live more like he intended life to be lived. And so the problem is when we're not joining ourselves and following the light or when we stop looking and settle We find that we're left out in the cold, we're left out in the dark. The light is on the move. You've got to join yourself to him and follow him into life, or you find yourself settling in the darkness. Well, how do these religious folk respond? I told you that after 8, 12, after they hear this, they get lost in the weeds, and they say, no, no, no. There's this whole argument about, okay, you say this, But if you got in a car wreck and the police come and you're the only witness there, you're going to say, I never hit anybody. I never did this. They say, no, no, no. Where's the guy on the corner that is an impartial witness that's going to back up what you're saying? You with me? This is what happens for like 15 verses. Because in their law, they said, if you're saying all these big things about being the light and being the bread and all these things, who's going to back it up? And he says, my father who sent me back to sit up. And he says, but you don't recognize me as the guide because you don't recognize and actually know the father. If you knew the father, you'd know me. So then they say, the second fight. I mean, if you just look at the chapter headings, if you have an actual Bible that's open, mine just says, dispute over this, dispute over that, dispute over this, dispute over that. And you're like, when are we going to go back to the light thing? And then they say, well, who is this guy? And then they say, he's possessed by a demon. And then they say, well, we follow the right guide. You are the wrong guide. And then finally, Jesus says, before any other guide, I am. You know why that would be a big deal for Jewish people? You know what the mysterious and sacred name that they wouldn't even write with the same pen? Yahweh. I am that I am. And Jesus stops just short of saying light, bread, door, shepherd. He just says, before any other guide, I am. They said, okay, we've heard you say this, we've heard you done that, and that this, they picked up stones and they were trying to kill Jesus. Hello? Can I tell you, I told Amy, I was wearing her out all week because I said, Jesus has really messed me up this week. Because to see it in this context of his people, of his religion, of half of our Bible, to just take it and reorient it and say it all points to me and I'm the end game and you better get on board with me. I'm causing you, I'm challenging you to rethink this. I'm asking myself, are all of these disputes that we are having out here in Facebook a way of refusing to move with the light that is calling us to something bigger and better and what he always intended. And we're too ready to throw stones at him if we really let him mess up what we hold so dear. Because what Jesus was trying to do, all these disputes that we have 47 verses of after this statement are not detours. It's John's way of saying, look what Jesus is doing, revealing their assumptions... And trying to guide them to a better way. 
but we don't want any of it. I've never actually read anything of his, but y'all have heard the name John Maxwell, correct? He's like a business and leadership guide. I read a summary of his that was highlighted in another book, but this is what he says. When he's summarizing a study of the group behavior of monkeys, okay? Listen to this. A group of monkeys were locked in a room with a pole at the center. Some luscious, ripe bananas were placed on top of the pole. When a monkey would begin to climb the pole, the experimenters, this is terrible, by the way. Let me just stop right here. If you're already out on like, he locked him in a room, it's going to get worse. I'm really sorry. I don't know that this is PETA approved. I'm, don't kill the messenger. There's some monkeys locked in a room and there's some bananas on a pole. And this is what happens when one tries to climb up. The experimenters would knock him off with a blast of water from a fire hose. And each time a monkey would climb, off he would go until all the monkeys had been knocked off repeatedly, thus learning that the climb was hopeless. The experimenters then observed that the other primates would pull down any other that was trying to climb. Do you hear this? So then what they would do is they would replace a single monkey with one who didn't know what was going to happen. He didn't know the system. As soon as the new guy tried to climb up, the others would pull him down and punish him for trying. So in fairness, they only did the water hose once because his friends would pull him down one by one. Each monkey was replaced, and the scene repeated until there were no monkeys left in the room that had experienced the fire hose. Still, not one of the new guys were allowed to climb. The other monkeys pulled them down. Not one monkey in the room knew why, but none were allowed to get the bananas. So much of our Christian Cultural assumptions hold us back from climbing up and into this dynamic adventure God is calling us to because it's simply not the way we think we ought to do it. And until we understand that, we will never understand why Jesus is a light that leads us on to something better. And the question I have for us as a church is, will we be a church that allows space for the surprising dreams and opportunities that God will bring our way? Will we invite those who have not seen the light, not to settle at the cabin, but to keep journeying with us into this dynamic relationship of a God who's on the move? Or will we settle for our own assumptions, our own traditions, our low expectations of what a life with Jesus could look at, could look like. The next mention of light is in the next chapter. Chapter 9, after all of these arguments, and Jesus slips away for fear of his life, he encounters a blind man. This is a man who is lost in darkness. And that's not a stretch. That is exactly why John has it right here in his gospel. 
As he went along, Jesus saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus says in, basically, that's a faulty question built on faulty assumptions. He said, neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. In Genesis chapter 1, we see darkness, we see void, we see chaos. And what we don't see is the writer of Genesis trying to explain it, trying to nitpick it, trying to philosophize over it. What he says is there's darkness, there's void, there's chaos, and God speaks light and life. And Jesus says, enough with your assumptions, enough with your traditions, and he says these words. Look, as long as it's day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Because night is coming when no one can work. But while I am in the world, what does he say? I'm the light of the world. He says, I have work to do where I see darkness and chaos and void. And he spits And he has this strange and intimate relationship where Jesus probably could have just spoken light, but he wants to know that there's a hand reaching out and touching and involved in the darkness and in the chaos, and he rubs on this man's eyes, and you know where he sends him? To the pool that they had processed back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Someday God will come. Someday we'll see him. Someday the water will be here. He says, go to that pool, and then you'll see light with me. You may have missed it with all the processions, but go and wash. And you know what else happens? Verse, 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 verse of fighting. That's not God is what the Pharisees say. Because Jesus sends him back to the temple. Because sometimes to reveal and to guide is to send us into those spaces that we thought were so good to expose them for what they truly are. And he sends them back, and he goes right back to those people who were about to kill Jesus. Hear me, we're almost done. And they said, who did this? And he says, why, you want to be his disciple too? I love this blind guy. And they're pummeling him with questions, pummeling with him with questions. They finally say, okay, if Jesus did it, fine. But this guy surely wasn't blind. And then they go get his parents, and they say, hey, is this guy, is he really blind? And they said, out of fear. They didn't know what to say. Because the thing about the cabins and the things we settle for is it's fear that most often keeps us there. If it ain't the others pulling us down, it's fear. And Jesus wants to be a light in the darkness, to cast out that fear. And finally, they just said, you know what, enough, and they kick him out, and they remove him from their religious fellowship. But guess where Jesus is? Guess where Jesus is? He moved outside the temple too. Look with me in verses 35 to 37 in chapter 9. Jesus heard that they'd thrown this man out. And when he found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? The blind man says, Who is he, sir? Tell me so that I may believe in him. And I've got to believe that Jesus said this with a smile and a wink. You have now 
seen him. You once were blind, and now you see. Outside and on the move of all the things you expected and all the things you thought, Jesus surprises him and gives him light. And so here's the twist as we see how the light shines in all corners and into all unexpected people. You know where else we read this phrase, the light of the world? Some of you might have been thinking this earlier. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says to his disciples, you are the light of the world. So if we see that spotlight up there in the corner of that booth, and we flick that spotlight on, and we shine it on this person right here, the source of the light is this spotlight shining down into us, who strangely, mysteriously are also the light of the world. But what happens if I held up a mirror to my friend who's blind, to my friend who's stuck, to my friend and family member who's searching? What happens if I follow the light, I'm not walking in this darkness, I have his life in me, and I hold up this mirror, I'm able to reflect it into those who, just like this man, were blind in order that they may see. Jesus for who he is. So here's what I want to offer you to do as we close. Think of a person who is searching and needs guidance. I want you to think of a name. I want you to write down a name. Because I want to pray that Jesus would shine on him or her. Then I want you to pray that in your interactions with this person, that you would do your part to just be still and reflect the light that's already yours. To mirror back love and acceptance and power and grace and truth. I want you to think of an issue that needs revealing and exposing. I want you to think of what you can't stand anymore. I want you to think about what Jesus would say about guns and violence and sexuality and division and greed and racism. And would you reflect the truth and grace of Jesus into the dark corners of our world? Could we be a church, like Amy was sharing earlier, in the spaces of darkness, even through our calling and these other ministries, to partner in order to shine light into these spaces and say, there's a better way. And finally, the Pharisees overhear Jesus talking to this blind guy. And to close out this section on the light, they say in chapter 9, verses 38 to 41, the man said, I do believe, and he worshiped him. And Jesus said, for judgment, I have come into this world so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. So some of the Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and said, What are we blind to? And Jesus said, If you were blind, you'd not be guilty of sin. But listen, now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. Because sometimes we're the Pharisees and we need his light and revelation 
as well. So our final thought in this Lent, as we look in all these other places, would you remember, don't miss the light because you think you've already got everything figured out. There's just so much more to see if you let him reveal and guide you along the journey. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for sending the light that comes from heaven, is headed back to heaven, but who is bringing all these who were blind along. Until that day when you renew heaven and earth, would we reflect your light that you've shined into the dark corners of our hearts and neighborhoods? And would we follow you as you continue to seek us and surprise us along the way? Pray this in Jesus' name, who is the light of the world. Amen. The amazing grace of the Master, Jesus Christ, the extravagant love of God, the intimate friendship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Everyone, stay warm, stay dry, keep praying. Go in peace.